Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. Go from the back of the 20 pages, Exhibit C, of events to discuss on the price of oil. Remember, if we go down a third of the way on Exhibit C, see there's 4 million barrels of surplus capacity in both 23 and 24. At least half of that is Saudi Arabia. Uh, the 9 million barrels, they could do 11. The, there was supposed to be an OPEC meeting on Sunday, and it got deferred. It may happen Thursday. When you have these OPEC meetings deferred, it generally means they haven't gotten to a consensus. And when I saw the news last week, late last week, I thought, oh my goodness, Saudi may want to go to market share. What market share means is that if the other OPEC members, or OPEC plus, including Russia and some other countries, are not honoring their commitments, Saudi Arabia has in the past said, we'll just go to market share. Oil, even with all the uh, risk, Mideast risk in, in Gaza, European risk in Ukraine would go down significantly. The meeting got deferred. There had been some commentary from OPEC ministers. Apparently, what was being negotiated is having some of the African countries take lower quotas to make room for Abu Dhabi, who wanted to increase their quota a bit. And that couldn't get resolved. But the additional news since, say, the end of last week has been that there's some type of discussion going on between Saudi Arabia and Iran that I think, without specific news, relates to Saudi Arabia continuing to maintain lower production, which would mean higher oil prices, which would be good for Iran. And in return, Saudi Arabia, I think, is looking for some type of uh, reduction in support for their proxies in and around Israel. Hezbollah, which is to the north of Israel, operating out of Lebanon, and then, of course, Hamas. So, remember, Saudi Arabia and Israel were in the process of negotiating a recognition by Saudi Arabia of Israel, and then October 7th kind of blew that up. I think the Saudi leadership, led by their crown prince, wants to put that back on track. Saudi Arabia and Iran now exchange ambassadors and are trying to collaborate more. In fact, the president of Iran came to Riyadh for a conference in the last week or two, which is a bit unusual to have the elected leader of Iran be in Saudi Arabia. Now, what does this mean for the price of oil? If the current news feed of some collaboration between Saudi Arabia and Iran 
that probably means very unlikely that Saudi Arabia would kill the market share, which Iran and other OPEC countries would resist and would feel injured by. So that's probably good for the price of oil. If you turn to uh, Exhibit B, oil has uh, been consistently lower. Uh, it's now, as you can see, last Thursday, pretty flat. I mean, 76 current price, 76 price, and 24.72. You look at earlier uh, uh, dates, say late last year, or say in October last year, there was a pretty big backwardation. Current price of 86, 24 price of 71. So I think WTI holding in the mid 70s, based on news to date, is a little more likely rather than less likely. Nothing particular to add on Exhibit A. I know I sound like a broken record, but at all other expense in 2019 before COVID of 910 billion, now $500 billion higher, that needs to be addressed. Uh, the next thing I'd like to swing to, and this is something I did by accident, but for those of you who have the 20 page memo, if you start on page one and continue, what you're going to find is that the people with the large amounts of free cash flow are Apple, current level 86 billion, Microsoft 61, Alphabet, pretty far up there at 50 billion. Nothing else gets close. NVIDIA, we talked last week, could theoretically in 24, if they do 80 billion of revenues, because of the gross margin, they could conceivably do 40 billion of free cash flow, which would be remarkable. Um, the content companies, which we're going to come back to, include Amazon. I don't know whether Amazon belongs with the content companies, but it does just under 40 billion of free cash flow. When you get to the cable companies, Charter and Comcast, they're both uh, Charter's 12 and Comcast is 20. You get to AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, you're kind of in the $20 billion range. MasterCard, just marvelous business in the 15 range, MasterCard and, and Visa. Look at Walmart, our, our largest retailer, free cash flow under $20 billion. It's interesting, Home Depot and Lowe's, who have much higher margins than Walmart, have almost as much free cash flow. Exxon, $45 billion of free cash flow based on current oil pricing. The midstream companies, the largest is like $8 billion of free cash flow. You go to the upstream companies, EOG, which is pretty much largest, is $7 billion of free cash flow. JP Morgan, our largest financial institution, $40 billion of free cash flow. People like Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs are 12 or 15. In manufacturing, our two probably leading manufacturing companies of Caterpillar and Deer, both with around $10 billion of free cash flow. In the pharmaceutical industry, we don't really have, I mean, Pfizer has 18. We don't have some of the large ones. McDonald's, very successful company for many years, under $10 billion of free cash flow. FedEx and United Parcel, very important to uh, keeping this all supplied. You know, FedEx with four, United Parcel with nine. I won't finish up the rest of the pages. So United Health administers a lot of Medicare plans and Medicaid plans, uh, $27 billion of free cash flow. 
it's really quite an achievement for Apple to have gotten there and Microsoft to get there. Now, for Mike and Jason, and I've rehearsed this a little bit with Mike, so we'll start with Jason. Jason, is there a company, especially in the first few pages of the 20 pages, that has a chance to surpass the high watermark here of $86 billion for Apple? Uh, I've rehearsed this with Mike, so Jason will go first, and then, and then Mike and I will uh, come up with Mike's choice. <laughs> What's what's the time frame? <laughs> Three years. Three, Three years. years. Um, Three years. That's that's a challenge. Um, rather than leave, rather than leave Jason out there to hang out to dry, uh, Mike and I think Amazon might be able to do it. That's Amazon's right. Currently riding around forty. Mike, why don't you explain the logic there? Right. So Amazon. Um, historically reinvests all of its cash flow to expand the business. And the most recent major reinvestment phase that they went through was transitioning their logistics system from a single, you know, per country to multiple uh, regions per in the country. And what that's done is enabled them to deliver packages sometimes same day within four hours or, or um, sometimes even less. And, that investment was very expensive and it, because they assumed that um, e-commerce growth would not pull back, it sort of left them with excess capacity, even to this day. Where we are in, from the market's perspective, uh, investors are asking that companies generate more free cash flow. And I think that's just sort of the way that Amazon's always done it is when it's been demanded of them long enough. They kind of slow down the reinvestment and demonstrate that they can produce free cash flow and then go back to reinvesting. Um, I think that the next few years, they're kind of in a good position for that. Their main capital expenditure is going to have to go toward um, GPUs in the data center. They've said that they're going to spend 50% of their CapEx on AWS-related activities, and they're kind of going to spend the rest of their efforts harvesting the investments they've already made in the logistics infrastructure. So I would expect that the e-commerce business actually starts to produce decent free cash flow, um, where it actually ran somewhat negative for the last couple of years. And we'll see, um, we'll, we'll see AWS continue to do well. So I think they're kind of best positioned of the ones that we've talked about. Um, but do you have a take on that, Jason? That's the one I was leaning towards too, but I, it's going to be, they, they basically have to eliminate their CapEx right now to achieve that same, uh, the same 86 billion number that Apple reached. Um, you know, the, a different angle on it is they have this incredibly fast growing advertising business um, that is very high margin. And I forgot how much it's doing in sales this past quarter, but it's, it's achieved a mark that's, you know, significantly um, contributing to their, to their free cash flow. Um, when it used to be a zero, they, they didn't have an advertising business much to speak of um, now. And I think Apple are the ones that, that gave it to them with the ad tracking transparency. So they've, they've been able to, attribute this advertising to the sales on the Amazon platform. And they have a new partnership now with, with Facebook through meta 
to further attribute the advertising on Facebook into sales across the internet. Um, and, and they do that through their payments platform. Um, additionally, they're, they're working with um, Shopify, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the, their, their advertising business is going to be pretty significant. And, and, and that all comes down to free cash flow almost. You know, I, I've, the margin on that's pretty good. Yeah, I think Jason makes an excellent point. In order to do that in three years, Amazon would have to pretty much take its capital spending from, uh, I think it's running over $50 billion. I mean, it, it probably has kind of a base capital spending of 10 or $15 billion just setting up the data centers for Amazon Web Services. So it wouldn't go exactly to zero, but it it'd have to be the case that Mike outlined that the logistics spending is basically been front loaded and will go down to you know quite a small number and then you add whatever Amazon Web Services needs to do to for data centers rehab old David data centers and set up new ones in order to handle their traffic I think that's an excellent point Jason yeah so Mike you're asking second place it's got to be Microsoft right they yeah. they're, they're not far behind and they're going to release all these AI tools um, in short order which we don't know the, the margin on those, but in theory, that's going to. Right. That, I mean, our initial calculations happens. are if, if AI Copilot is adopted by a quarter of their customers, they should double their, not, I'm sorry, not double, but increase free cash flow by $30 billion or approximately 50%. So that would put them right in line with Apple. So Alphabet, if they lose the court decision and don't have to pay $20 billion to Apple, back on page one here, theoretically some part of the $20 billion is going to come out of Apple's free cash flow and be added to Alphabet's free cash flow. It might, it might be only a one-year phenomenon, but because Alphabet may suffer without being the default uh, choice on, the, on, on all the iPhones. But it's kind of like a seesaw. What but adds to Alphabet would come out of Apple, I guess, in that set of circumstances. Yeah, exactly. But I think I, I'm still pretty convinced that they'll figure out a way to do it so that everybody's happy. Right. This episode of Telltales is brought to you by Top Mark Capital. They're not your typical hedge fund. They use a blend of best practices from value investing, venture capital, and private equity, which gives them a unique perspective on market dynamics. And the results truly speak for themselves. So, if you're a qualified investor who's looking for an innovative, emerging manager, visit topmarkcapital.com to learn more. This is not an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. And now, back to the show. Here's another interesting question in terms of getting to large amounts of free cash flow. And, and this goes back to Jason saying, how many years? How many years, Jason, do you think it'll take Tesla to get within range? I mean, Musk has said that the future of Tesla is to be like Apple. I think what he's saying is just the way everyone has iPhones, people will have Model 3s and and otherwise uh, and whatnot. But I mean, it, to try to get it to be 
kind of probable rather than not impossible 10 years? Jason, what would you think? I was going to say north of 10 years. You're really counting on the EV adoption to, to pick up in the U.S. and globally. You're seeing it in Nordic countries and maybe in California some, but it's, it's slowing down. Uh, I think the, the inflection point is going to be when the Tesla cars nationwide are cheaper than what the internal combustion cars are. Um, that's, they've achieved that in California, even though maybe on a, on a per mile operating basis, it still maybe costs more to drive a Tesla due to our electric prices. <laughs> Uh, not, I mean, not on the Tesla is a lot more three. efficient than a Rivian. The yeah. Rivian is, but, but, but agreed. I, I think that the game in automotive today is all, how do you get the lower end? The previous 10 years has all been about how do you get the, up, the, all your profit was generated from the high end stuff. Yeah. And if you look at what the, what the big three are doing is they're, they're driving, all their efforts towards pushing the high end, right? There's a, there's a Jeep that costs more than a hundred thousand dollars now. Um, and Tesla is doing the opposite. The model two, once it comes out that will be made in Mexico is planning to be one of the, maybe the cheapest car for sale in the U S when it, when it hits the market. So that, that'll be pretty revolutionary for, for them. That's not 10 years out though. That's well, no. <laughs> what, in Elon Musk years or like maybe yeah. it is 10 years out. I think to get it to probable from not impossible to get Tesla to 40 billion of free cash flow, I think you probably need 10 years. Um, NVIDIA, suppose NVIDIA sells enough GPUs and other data center products to get to 40 billion of free cash flow. In 24, which I guess that would be a pretty that that would be on the side of the bulls for Nvidia, but not not impossible, maybe not probable. But it's one thing to get to a level of free cash flow that's competitive with these other companies. How how likely will that be to be able to be maintained and built on? Uh, does someone else catch up with TPUs? Does Microsoft and Amazon and, and Google make their own Jeep. How does that look to you, Jason? Yeah, I think they, they all do make their own GPUs and AMD and maybe even Intel will catch up on the hardware side. Um, NVIDIA has the big advantage on the software side, but you know, the market's going to continue to grow. So all the AI investment over the last year or two years, certainly, has been around text generation. And then the next big influx in investment is, is going to be audio and visual. So you're seeing a lot of audio products, AI-generated music come out. Um, and recently there's been some announcements on uh, video generation tools. So when those hit more mainstream, um, at least you know for the engineering community, they're going to use much more compute resources than just generating text, um, both on the training and inference, definitely on the inference side. So there's going to continue to be a lot of investment on, uh, on, these, on these inference chips specifically across all of the hyperscalers. So you know, I, th I think 
I think the trend continues. That's that's where the demand's going to come from. Yeah, and if the last few weeks have been a benefit to anybody, you know, after digesting everything that's happened with OpenAI and Microsoft, and you know, at one point the whole OpenAI team was quitting and going with Sam Altman to Microsoft, and now we're kind of back. The band's back together. If you're a customer, if you're a customer of OpenAI or even an enterprise customer at Microsoft, you're probably scratching your head a little bit saying, is this the partner that I want? And you're probably going to come to the conclusion that maybe I should look at NVIDIA's product because NVIDIA provides not an open source model. It's a closed source model, but it's enterprise grade and enterprise supported and it's one throat to choke and all of the things that you would be looking for as a Fortune 500 enterprise customer are generally available from NVIDIA with, and knowing that they're the best. Uh, I mean, uh, you, yes, the, the chat GPT models are better than what NVIDIA has today, but uh, there's probably no other company that has the resources, the cash flow, the, the engineering talent that NVIDIA does. So I, I, I sort of think that the things that have happened the last few weeks is, have really done nothing but actually enhance NVIDIA's position. Right. Jason, I was telling my wife and I talk for 20 minutes every morning, Monday through Friday, that I was starting to uh, regret not having a closer look at Netflix when it was lower. It just seems to me that the third quarter results, this is over on page four, are, are pretty darn strong from a cash flow point of view. Do you think it's feasible that or possible or likely that Netflix will get far enough out ahead uh, with their 300 million subscribers or whatever they have worldwide so that it will be very, very difficult for, for Walt Disney or NBC Peacock or whatever, Amazon Prime to, to compete so that you get a kind of a network effect, almost like what Apple's been able to do with the billion people out there with, uh, with iPhones. Yeah, I don't know if I 100% believe that. Um, I would like to see Netflix do some things kind of more like traditional TV, maybe HBO had done, where they really shows piecemeal episode by episode and, and create like a national dialogue about the show. Um, and that would generate the network network effects, um, or maybe stronger than they than they have now. Um, I think they they did really well this past quarter because they weren't paying for content. Their production was all shut down with the strikes. Uh, maybe a little tangent, but uh, tying Nvidia and video generation together with Netflix is Netflix tried uh, a TV show maybe a year or two ago where it was kind of a choose your own adventure show and you got to select what, you know, what the characters did in the show and it would show you different scenes based on that. Um, it's probably not far into the future that AI is auto generating, you know, unique shows to you as you select the, uh, the character arc for, you know, the, the plot for the show. So like a fully generative right. show rather than a pre-programmed you know, decision tree. Right. Yeah. Right. So that could really drive down, you know, production costs for Netflix if, if they're generating shows for users and, and they have a lot of adoption on that. And, and that could be a, 
a differentiator. And Mike made an interesting point this morning. He said Netflix is for sitting down and enjoying, but that YouTube is much more for people actually being active, looking around. Uh, I'm doing an inadequate job of explaining that, but over to you, Mike, in terms of the difference between the Netflix user and the YouTube user. Yeah, so specifically Netflix to YouTube, the way I think of it is, um, one, you're sort of engaged in, you're sitting on the front of your chair leaning forward, that that would be YouTube, because you're, in general, you're searching for something in particular, it's a topic of interest, where, in general, when you're watching Netflix, it's sort of like, you're sitting back to relax, and it almost doesn't matter what's on the TV, you're just sort of trying to relax. Now, Interestingly, that sit back and relax content from broadcast TV, think of Friends uh, as kind of the ultimate TV show that uh, you can kind of just watch any episode in any order and it doesn't really matter what it is, but it it, it provides that um, realization. Friends was super... The Office. Or The Office, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just like both of those super profitable shows, um, but very profitable because of advertising. And I think that validates the fact that Netflix has really been going about it all wrong on a subscription um, and really ought to have been doing uh, advertising sooner. So of the things that are exciting about Netflix is that advertising will probably be a very good path for them. And then from a social media perspective, the other comparison that we were making was Instagram versus Twitter. And Instagram is more like Netflix in that it's a passive sit back. Here's a bunch of random content that they're going to feed to you in an algorithm that you may enjoy. And it's a great medium for slamming ads into because it's sort of like discovery, right? It's I'm flipping through to discover what's happening in my friends and the people I follow's lives and then slam an ad in there for a product that I need or I didn't know that I needed uh, it's a great way to convert a customer. Um, Twitter, on the other hand, is more leaning forward, the front of your seat type of content where you're engaging with, whether it's you know a tech topic or a political topic, you're, you're more engaged with the content because it's physically reading as opposed to just watching. So I, I, I like to make those distinctions when it comes to media just to kind of understand how they're best monetized. Jason, we have a few minutes left. You've been a Meta fan, thought that Meta had a, a good position for open source AI or a lot of language models. But any commentary as we've covered YouTube and Netflix? So, uh, any comment on, on Meta? You know, I haven't heard much uh, lately out of them on the AI front and, and definitely not on the um, virtual reality front either. They still spend a tremendous amount of money developing that. And maybe one day that, you know, it has the same thing was there's a, a realization that we're all going to use VR and adopt it like we did AI. Um, maybe that comes and they'll, they'll definitely be in the best position for that. I've, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, hardware journalists have been writing really good things about the Ray-Bans, the, the meta Ray-Ban glasses that are, um, kind of an AI, they're kind of a modern Google Glass tool. Um, and 
and the what is it the quest three has gotten really good reviews so in the hardware front they're they're doing a lot of really good things um i was a fan of them because they had such a great advertising business and the stock had gotten cheap because of you know regulatory reasons and and public perception of of the company and maybe of mark zuckerberg himself but you know now it's now it's less appealing but i i think they're doing a lot of the a lot of good things Another update I did last weekend was AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile on page six. And one of the things I noticed about all three companies is they're scaling back their capex to a certain extent. So their free cash flow is benefiting. AT&T and Verizon are both around 20. T-Mobile's around half. It does look, you know, AT&T and Verizon are historically dividend payers. It's interesting that T-Mobile doesn't pay a dividend. And instead, they use their their cash to uh, pay down debt. The companies are, you know, trading for, uh, in AT&T and Verizon's case, around 12 or 13 times free cash flow. In terms of growing, mostly what I noticed was the, um, you know, curtailing their capex. I mean, their EBITDA is going up a bit. I'd say T-Mobile's kind of outperforming Verizon and, and uh AT&T there, but it's cutting back on their capex. Any trends you see there, Mike or Jason, in terms of their ability to maintain their wireless business where most of their cash flow comes from? Yeah, I think the reduction in capex is they're nearing completion of their 5G networks. So they had to build out a lot of uh, cell tower sites. Uh, if you think of you know American Tower or Crown Castle, they're they're building out their radios on the on the towers themselves. And they've probably reached a point where they've covered most of the country with, with 5G coverage. So you can understand where they're, they're slowing down spend there. Um, any thoughts on fixed wireless, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, well, the question is, is, does it is it just the excess capacity? And if you're a cable operator or you know you own fiber in the ground, does, is that the first thing that these guys cut or increase the prices on so that cable is more competitive? Um, probably. So, you know, I, yeah, I, I like fixed wireless because it fills that uh, unused band, bandwidth and they can kind of dial it up and dial it back. There's, there's been a lot of advancement from mobile handset to satellite communication. Um, some the, Maybe they're assessing if that's the future of, of how cellular uh, connectivity goes. And there was an announcement today that T-Mobile and Starlink are going to test their, um, yeah, Leo, the Starlink to uh, T-Mobile connection uh, this week. Uh, the, that announcement was this week. So uh, it'll be interesting to see some of that stuff. Then will we have global cellular providers? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Does that, that, and then it means the whole market may consolidate further or, you know, we'll be using, I don't know, Vodafone or something. Yeah. Um, right. Good. Well, we've run over. Everyone stay healthy and be well. We'll be back with you next Wednesday. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again next week as we will be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.
The views expressed on this podcast are the host alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the host nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned. 